we present The Waiting Game, a tale of smuggling and intrigue set in 19th century England, written for radio by Margaret Potter. Well, Mr. Hammond, I trust I've not ventured forth from the warmth of my bed on some wild goose chase. I trust so too, Sir Geoffrey. But you did ask to be informed if I thought it likely we might make an arrest. Uh, true, sir, true. I had not reckoned on being called out at this late hour. Perfect night for smuggling. No moon, the sea like glass, and this confounded mist. Mr. Hammond, sir. And it seems our vigil is about to be rewarded. How many are there? I cannot tell for sure. Just the one, I think. Yes, there he is, to the left of that rock. Remember, we want him alive, if possible. Right, lads, take him! Well? He has some lobster pots in the boat, sir. A strange bait for lobster, I'm thinking. Tobacco. Mr. Hammond, a word with you, sir. It's evident we've caught our men. <laughs> You're to be congratulated. But you may be sure this fellow has accomplices. We'll not find them along this stretch of the coast, Sir Geoffrey. It is five or six hours since I had word that a Manx vessel was standing offshore. She'd be well on her way back by now. Had it not been for this accursed mist, we might have had a cutter out from Whitehaven. Quite so, Mr. Hammond, quite so. Yet I would question this fellow myself, and alone. Uh, alone, Sir Geoffrey? Yes, alone. As a magistrate, I can promise it may go easier for him should he decide to furnish us with information. Hmm. Besides, you forget that I'm a local man and know how to talk to these people. It is time we had them all in our net and so put an end to this business once and for all. I'm growing somewhat tired of this waiting game. London coach, do you say? Aye, sir. Right, lads. First and second turns out. How long does she stay here? Just time enough to change horses, sir. Look lively there. London coach. Your baggage, young sir. What? Oh, uh, yes, yes, of course. Coming down. I thank you, coachman. Passengers for Kendall and Carlisle, take your places, please. I, uh, I beg your pardon, but... Uh, you are addressing me, sir. Uh, Mr. Naismith. That is my name. I am William Fell, chief clerk to your uncle, Master Rady. <sighs> my uncle sent you to meet me. That was civil of him. I am most happy to make your acquaintance, Mr. And Fell. And I yours, sir. You had a good journey, I trust? Oh, the least said about it, the better. I have had rather more than my share of hardship, latterly. Ah, yes. Your uncle mentioned that you had been in France. 
Uh, tell me, did you ever set eyes upon the arch-villain Bonaparte? <laughs> My dear sir, I was a mere ensign in the infantry. Quite the lowest form of life in the British army, I do assure you. But Master Raby tells me that you were at Waterloo. My servants and hundred thousand others, and not likely to forget the experience. But I'm more concerned with the future at the moment, the immediate future. For a start, I am most confoundedly hungry. Of course, sir. Your uncle's instructions were most explicit, and I am remiss. We are to dine here, and then proceed by easy stages to Barrow. This carrier business of my uncle's, it is a fairly large concern. Oh, the largest in these parts. Fourteen wagons we maintain, besides two new light fans, also a delivery stable. Indeed. William, what manner of man is my uncle? Oh, you have never met him, have you? <laughs> never. Do you think that we shall suit one another? I see no reason to doubt it. You will find him a strict man, but just. Treat him fairly, and you will not come amiss. <laughs> we can but try. And now, what do you say to a stroll around Lancaster before we set on our way? There appears to be some kind of holiday, judging from the crowds and the flags flying from the castle. Well, it is a holiday of sorts, Master Tom. The assizes are in progress, and the town schools have been closed, so that the scholars may attend the proceedings. Any cases of a special interest? Mm, there is one which has aroused considerable feeling. A wretched fellow charged with smuggling. But uh, perhaps you would care to walk along and see our new Crown Court and hear how the case is progressing. By all means. Smuggling, did you say? Surely not a common crime in these parts. James Coppins of Lerneston in the parish of Milry in the county of Lancaster, you have been tried and found guilty by a jury of your fellow men of an offence against the realm, namely smuggling. You are hereby condemned to death by hanging. You will be confined here within the castle jail until such time as the sentence shall be carried out. And may God have mercy upon your soul. I'm Come, William. I have no stomach for work of this sort. It is one thing to kill a man in a straight fight or in the heat of battle but to take a life in cold blood for a few paltry pounds of tobacco. Well, it is stealing, Master Tom, when all is said and done. Oh, it was stifling in there. Uh, there was a great press of people, to be sure, but a criminal case, especially such a one, is always a great draw. Ah, your servant, Sir Geoffrey, and Mistress Sophia. How good day to you, Phil. Uh, permit me to present Master Raby's nephew, Sir Geoffrey, uh, Mr. Thomas Naismith of London. Uh, the servant, sir. Uh, sir Geoffrey Banner, Master Tom, is a neighbour of your uncle at Wildbeck Hall and the local magistrate. I am honoured, sir. Raby's nephew, eh? And from London? Well, well. You hear that, my dear? He is from London. Yes, Sir Geoffrey, I hear. I would that I were there this minute. <laughs> the northern clime does not agree with you, ma'am. Not only the climate, sir, but all else. And in particular, this place. Well, Sir Geoffrey, it must be very gratifying for you to see the man turned off, or at least sentence pronounced on him. It uh, was Sir Geoffrey who committed the man Coppins for trial, Master Tom. He is to be congratulated. Uh, you do not approve of the sentence either, sir? Oh, I have no personal feelings in the matter, mistress. But I have seen too much of Death Lady to be entirely indifferent to the fate of my fellow man. Indeed. Did the fellow disclose the names of any of his associates, Sir Geoffrey? He did not, confound him. 
Even though Judge Bailey promised him clemency, the misguided wretch would utter not a word. And shortly, I suppose, I am to be dragged to the spectacle of his execution. Very edifying, to be sure. Damn it, girl, nobody's going to force you to attend. Yet I'm of the opinion that occasions such as this are edifying. They inculcate in the young mind the idea of the majesty of the law, the swiftness of divine justice, and the mutability of human fortunes. <coughs> Judge Bailey himself could not have put it better, Sir Geoffrey. Uh, tell me, Mr. Naismith, what brings a gentleman of leisure so far north? <laughs> I am no gentleman of leisure, ma'am, I assure you. I am come to work for my living in my uncle's business. Oh. Have you indeed? Well, there... The judge is leaving his chambers. We are promised to dine with him. Yes, yes, my dear, of course we must go. Good day to you, Phil, and to you, Nesmith. Your servant, sir. A mistress. <laughs> I'm afraid I was a bitter disappointment to the young lady. No social butterfly, but a drab workaday moth. Pity, though. What was her name? Uh, Sophia. Mistress Sophia Sheridan. She is Sir Geoffrey's ward. Mm. Ah, well. It's not likely that we shall meet again. Come, William. We must collect the horses and be on our way home. Or rather, to my uncle's house. Whether it may become home to me remains to be seen. You'll take a glass of brandy. I'm not one for coffee or any of your fashionable fads. Thank you. This is the first opportunity I've had to thank you for your great kindness to me, sir. My letter, I'm afraid, must have come as a shock to you. But it was my mother's last wish. Of that, I... that I am aware. I'd received a letter from her shortly after your father's death inviting my uh, interest in your welfare. Though I confess I did not think to concern myself quite so soon in the matter. If it is in any way inconvenient or beyond your contriving... Nay, hey, I gave my word... And I intend to keep it. Well, I'm trained in nothing, as you are aware, sir, save the art of war. And therefore, I am most deeply grateful for this opportunity. Yet I can assure you, I will do my best to be credit to you and to the firm. Apply yourself diligently to your work. That's all I ask. Honesty and industry are what I require. Both rather outmoded virtues these days, it would seem. Uh, yes, sir. I gather from Mr. Furl, your chief clerk, that you are in a fair way of business. <laughs> so William called himself that, did he? Well, from tomorrow, when you take your place beside him in the counting house, he will, of course, be your senior. And I dare say we shall contrive to keep you occupied. Does the idea of clerking displease you? Well, I... I had not thought to sit behind a desk all day. How else are you to learn the business? I thought perhaps that you would allow me to accompany the wagons sometimes, so as to better acquaint myself with the country and the routes you frequent. When I knew I was to come here, I obtained some maps of the area. I have a copy of Ogilby's Britannia, which I have studied. And which is practically out of date by now. No, my boy. Your job will be to learn the business from the inside. Neither Fell nor I grow any younger. It's time we started training someone else in the running of affairs so that they may take over when the time is ripe. Of course. Nay, nay, I'll have none of this dog-in-the-manger attitude, if you please. Either you give the thing a fair trial... But it's off altogether. I will try, I promise. Then we will say no more. Ah, ten o'clock. High time I was away to my bed. You also, if you're to be up at six. Six, sir? We'll have no slugger beds here. Mrs. Stevens will call you, and you will present yourself at the counting house at seven sharp. 
Yes, sir. You will find your candle on the table in the hall. Good night. Uncle. Ah, yes. And this is the schedule of charges fixed by the county authorities. Yes, William. You will see from this that the charge for carrying any parcel above six pounds in weight is a penny per pound. Oh. Hmm. It appears to be outrageously cheap. At that rate, I don't see how my uncle could possibly make a living. Mr. Naismith. Oh, you must excuse me, William. I'm not accustomed to such early rising. And I thought we'd agreed to dispense with surnames. Mm, on second thought, sir, I am of the opinion that it would be better if we observed the uh, formalities. As you wish, Mr. Fell. You were saying? Up to six pounds, there is a flat rate of one shilling and sixpence. Mm -hmm. Now, here we have the day book, in which all goods consigned to us for dispatch are entered as they are received. It will be your task to keep this book up to date. Mm. <sighs> Six assorted hides to Thomas Mayer's Cordwainer at Millam. Hmm. I'll wager the wagoner was glad to get rid of that odiferous bundle. A hamper of game to the Reverend Smollett at Wickton. Cheese, live poultry. What's this? A wooden cradle consigned to Mistress Brownriggs at High Fence Farm. <laughs> Is there anything you would not or could not carry? Uh, scarcely anything. And uh, now I think we will pay a visit to the yard, so that you may see what goes on there. At this time of day, they are loading wagons, ready to set out on their regular runs. Lead on, Mr. Furl. I'm at your service. Well, I'm merely carrying out your uncle's wishes, Mr. Naismith. You uh, seem to find something amusing. <laughs> oh, William, and I shall call you William, whether you like it or not. You will have to make allowances for me. For the past four years, I have lived the life of a soldier on active service. It will take some little time, I fear, for me to settle down to such a peaceful existence once again. Brack! Aye? What to do? Keogh was sniffing round that hamper like a dog at a fair. It is all properly secured and sailed. <laughs> and just as well. I oh, was just looking to see if anything were brought. <laughs> looking for a way into it, more like. Lanty! Hey, his master fell with a new young master. And best look as if those working, hadn't they? Ah, Lanty, I want you to meet Mr. Naismith, the master Raby's nephew. He has come to learn the business. Uh, this is Lanty, Master Tom, our head wagoner. I'm pleased to meet you, Lanty. Servant, sir. My horse, what are you at now? Got me foot on something. Ah, I never knew such a gormless gawk. Say what you have done. There's best part of an hour's work gone to waste. Aye, but what an accident. Accident or not, tis all to be loaded on again, so just you get about it sharpish like. There's no harm done, Mr. Fell, for mainly boxes. Yeah, just a moment. This parcel has been tempered with. No, master. Uh, maybe the wrapping got a mite torn when it fell. I think not. It looks to me as if it's been cut by a knife. No, master. You never mean it was done a purpose. It rather looks like it. Lanty, what do you know of this? Me? No, sither, Master Fell. You will agree, I... will you not, that an attempt has been made to rifle this parcel? Mr. Fell! Not a word of this to Master Raby. William, we... Not a word, you understand? Ah, oh, I want this letter delivered to Sir Geoffrey Banner at Wildbeck Hall. Ah, uh, oh, Tom, you can go. I should be delighted, sir. Wildbeck's about ten miles north along the coast road. Go round to the stables and ask them to saddle up Jess, my new mare. And take good care of her mind. 
I'll not have her brought back in a lather. No, sir. Uh, will there be an answer to the letter? It, it depends. Sir Geoffrey will tell you. Now off with you, and mind what you're about. I will, sir. You there, peddler! Oh, what's your pleasure, master? A show buckles? Pins, or... Maybe a ribbon for a lady's hair? Nay, I want none of your wares. I thought you might be able to put me on the road to Wildbeck Hall. Wildbeck? Ah, you know it? Twould be strange if I did not. We all knows Wildbeck hereabouts. Some on us to our sorrow. It beant magistrates, Warren. Well, I'm in a hurry. Just you folly on road about a mile till you come to a pair of iron gates. All wrought about with lilies and such like. That's Wildbeck. Thank you. Come, Jess. Wild Becky, and in a hurry, he says. Uh, sir Geoffrey will see you now, sir, if you'll kindly come this way. Thank you. Ah, Naismith, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sir Geoffrey. I did not expect to see you again so soon. I, uh, I have brought a letter from my uncle. Master Raby is well? Never better, sir. Thank you. Raby seated. Uh, what's this? Oh, just so. So you are to learn your uncle's trade, eh? Your pardon, sir? I see that portrait over the fireplace commands your attention. Well, you are not the first man to succumb to its charm. Pray excuse me, sir. A fetching little minx, eh? Your, your wards, Geoffrey? No, though very likely, I admit. It is Sir Thomas Lawrence's painting of her mother. She was a favourite model of his in her youth. Ah, that accounts for the dress. I thought it somewhat old-fashioned, but charming, of course. Yes, and so was she, my boy. <laughs> so was she. Had a fancy to marry us, did a score or so more, but then Rafe Sheridan came along, and that was that. Now they're both gone, and Sophie grows more like her mother every day. Even to would-be suitors. I fancy she's over young for that, as yet. <laughs> Your family has always lived here, sir. Always. The hall was built by a buccaneering ancestor of mine from spoils gotten, I shouldn't wonder, on the Spanish main. Even when he retired, he could not bear to be out of sight of the sea. Hence the choice of this situation. You have a glorious view. My first glimpse of the hall was from those ruins over there on the headland. Ah, yes, the old priory. You did not venture within, I trust? No, I thought there may be some urgency about the letter. It is a dangerous place. Over the years, the villagers have gradually been dismantling it and using the stone for their own purposes, despite my threats of prosecution. One day it will fall down altogether. It is to be hoped no one gets hurt before then. Oh, well, sir, if there is no reply... Reply? To my uncle's letter. Uh, there's no reply. But you'd better wait a while. There's a storm approaching. I trust Sophia has returned from her ride. You will give her my regards, sir. Of course. I am very sorry to have missed an opportunity of seeing her again. But my uncle will be expected.
Easy now, Jess. We'll be on the road soon, and then straight for home. Easy now, easy! Let me help you down. Thank you. Uh, uh, well, how can I ever thank you? We must get out of this rain. But the, the priory! We can shelter there! Come then, we'd better run for it. Soaking. Uh, Take off your cloak and put my coat on. Uh, it's quite dry inside. Oh, but Mr. Mason. Ah, he insists. Oh, you are very kind. But what of the horses? They'll come to no harm. You are sure? Oh, poor Spellman. He, he was so frightened I could not hold him. It's not surprising. It was an almighty clap of thunder <laughs> and the flash of lightning. But we will not dwell on it. You're safe now, and that is all that matters. Wow. How dark it is in here. And dank. Not a cheerful place by any means. You've been here before? Oh, many times. But always in daylight. It's not so eerie then. Strange. But in this half-light, one can almost imagine how it used to be before the wind and rain played havoc with it all. Mm. Did you ever see such arches soaring up into the sky as if they'd taken wing? What manner of man could defy such beauty? Henry the Eighth soldiers. They stripped off all the lead, and so the timbers were exposed to the weather and rotted. And the monks who lived here, what happened to them? They fled as soon as they heard the soldiers were coming. All except the prior. He must have been a man of great courage. He stayed? Oh, yes. He was determined not to surrender the church. So he took the huge silver cross and the communion plate from the altar and hid himself in the bell tower. Well, he barricaded himself in. Beltow? I do not recall having seen one as I rode by this oh, afternoon. Oh, not now, but there was a tower then. And you must not interrupt me, sir. I shall endeavor to contain myself. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I, when the soldiers came, they, they thought he had fled with the rest of the monks, taking the silver with him. So they went about their dreadful work, stripping the roof, desecrating the walls, Destroying everything they could lay their hands on. And they were on the very point of leaving when one of the soldiers entered the tower, climbed up to the bell chamber, and found the door barred. And then? He called his fellows, and they carried up fall stools, vestments, stores, anything that might burn. They cried that they would smoke out whoever was hiding there. And then the prior spoke to them. He, he begged them as Christian men to, to consider their actions that he would die rather than surrender, and that the king was a wicked and an evil man. It was to no avail. The soldiers brought fire, and, and soon the barricade was burning furiously, 
But they found to their horror that they could not control the fire. And as the flames grew higher, the great bell in the tower began to toll. Louder and louder it grew, until the whole building began to rock with the force of it. And then suddenly, with a, a great rending and rumbling of stone and timber, the tower collapsed into the sea, taking the soldiers and the prior with it. A dramatic story, indeed. Mm, I, I lie awake sometimes at night, and, and I think I can hear the bell. And often the villagers say that they hear it too. Calm, that isn't possible. It may be that when the wind is in a certain direction, you hear the bells of another church across the estuary. Perhaps. It is very strange, though. Come, the rain has stopped. I fear your guardian will be wondering where you... <gasps> what is it? I saw something move behind the altar. Who is there? No, but an old peddler, sir, and lady. No cause for alarm. I was but sheltering, like yourself. You have no right here. This is private ground. My guardian would be very angry if he found out. I know you. The peddler I might tell you on the road. The very same, young sir. Then what are you doing? There is no one around here to buy your wares. I was on my way to Millam, sir. When storm grew so heavy, I come in here for shelter. I dozed off, I fear, and waking, mazed like, heard your voices. Belike tis them old monks hath out come back to haunt me. Oh, please make him stop. That is enough of your foolish talk. You'd best be on your way. The rain's over. There's no reason for you to linger. I, I'm going, sir. But first, up and your price of a bed. For love of charity, sir. Listen. It sounds like a bell. Yet I thought you said... It's the prior's bell. Nay, nay, that cannot be. There's neither bell... Bell, no bell tower in these ruins. But it is the Briar's Bell, I know it is. Oh, Mr. Nesmith, listen. Do you doubt me now? And you'll have to wait till after the weekend for the next part of The Waiting Game, which continues throughout next week at the same time here on Radio 4 Extra. Tom was played by Keith Buckley, Sophia Sheridan by Judith Bradshaw, Sir Geoffrey Banner by Norman Shelley, William Fell by Robert Wallace and Uncle John by Tom Harrison. And you also heard Bert Parnaby, Henry Livings, Geoffrey Banks, Ella Atkinson, David Marlowe, Joe Holmes, John Broadbent and John Dalgleish. The Waiting Game by Margaret Potter was produced by Trevor Hill. Now, over the next few weeks, we have a series of standalone comedy dramas which feature, amongst others, Rebecca Front, Matthew Horne and Philip Jackson. Trapped tells the story 